Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. April 11th, 1966, in Cam Mai, Vietnam. We've talked about this battle before. We've talked about Airman First Class William Pitsenbarger, who on that date got a call that there was an American unit taking heavy casualties at risk of being overrun and needed help. So he and his crew took off, and Pitsenbarger was a pararescueman, which means one of his major jobs was to find ways to get casualties out of tricky situations. And that's exactly what was going on during the Battle of Cam Mai. They arrive on scene and they're not able to do what I'd call kind of the standard medevac, which is land your helicopter and the wounded are brought out to you. The thick jungle canopy prevents any clear landing zones from being established. So they hook up a basket that's about the size of a human body and lower it through the treetops to the ground to the soldiers waiting below. And the idea here is that Soldiers load the basket with their wounded. It's hoisted back up to the helicopter. And after you do this a couple times, helicopters are full load and they take off. But the soldiers are having a hard time loading the basket. So Pitsenbarger volunteers to go to ground. It's a crazy decision because you can, from up above, you can see the battle and you can see just how nasty it is down there. And he doesn't know these men. He's never met any of them. But he goes to ground right in the middle of this nasty, nasty fight and starts treating wounded, starts you know, um, getting them in the baskets to move, be moved up to the helicopter for evacuation, um, coordinating more evacuations, organizing the casualties, um, really a big help once he hits the ground. Again, even though he didn't have to be there. Now, eventually the helicopter is full up and they call down and say, hey, it's time to go. Standard procedure is that Pittsburgh would have gone with his crew. They're a team. He would leave with them and then return with them probably. Um, given the nature of this fight, he'd be back pretty soon to help more. But Pittsburgh waves them off. He decides that he is of greater value staying on the ground because the casualties continue to mount. So he waves the crew off, stays, continues to treat wounded and help this American unit as best he can. It was a decision that would cost him his life. He would be awarded posthumously the Medal of Honor, and his story is documented in the recent movie, The Last Full Measure. But Pitsenbarger didn't get there at the beginning of the fight. They arrived after it had been raging for some time. And for these medevacs to even matter at all, the unit on the ground has to hang on. And in a battle like this, the Battle of Cam Mai, where the Americans will suffer 80% casualties, hanging on is no small feat. And one of the reasons they were able to do so was through men like Sergeant James Robinson, a fire team leader with Charlie Company, 2nd Battalion, 16th Infantry Regiment, part of the 1st Infantry Division, Big Red One, whose story we're going to talk about today. Sergeant Robinson and his men were taking part in an operation called Operation Abilene, as in Abilene, Texas. Abilene was a large-scale search-and-destroy mission focused on weeding out Viet Cong units in South Vietnam. The operation was in the 
southeastern portion of South Vietnam. It's about a division size operation, so pretty big. Now, if we back up a little bit to 1954 when Vietnam was split, remember prior to that, it was one Vietnam. 1954 established North and South Vietnam. And anytime you just draw that line across a country or carve something out of a country, it's never going to be perfect. So there are people in the South that support the North and there's probably people North that support the South. Um, we ended up not running into a lot of those in Vietnam because we were operating almost exclusively. Well, I wouldn't say exclusively in South Vietnam, but we weren't really operating in North Vietnam. And the people operating in South Vietnam that supported the North, um, we, we generally grouped into this kind of insurgent group that had a lot of different faces known as the Viet Cong, which the term comes from Vietnam Cong San, which I'm probably saying incorrectly. That means Vietnamese communists. And you actually watch this morph throughout the war pretty quickly. So um, Vietnam Cong San turns into Viet Cong, um, turns into VC or Victor Charlie from the phonetic alphabet. And then you blink and the Americans are calling all enemy soldiers Charlie. So that's where that comes from. But the Viet Cong was an interesting group because they were a, they had a formal structure, I guess is the way I'll put it. They're operating behind enemy lines. They're operating in the South. They have a formal structure in terms of regiments and battalions and, and kind of military leadership, even some uniforms to a degree, but they also had these guerrilla irregular warfare units and they would kind of shift throughout the war. Um, you'd see a large scale Viet Cong attack during the Tet Offensive a little bit later in the conflict, but the Viet Cong also were widely associated with this kind of guerrilla warfare, small unit tactics, hit and run because that worked. They were adapting to the U S involvement in Vietnam and in 1965, 1966, we're going to run up against battalions and regiments of Viet Cong. Like, that's what we want. That's what the U.S. is good at. If we could just, if we could just get the enemy in battalion or regiment or division size out on the battlefield, we're in good shape. We, on, a, on neutral territory, the U.S. is going to have the upper hand. When you start adding in the the air power and the artillery, the firepower, the naval gunfire, our ability to medevac people off the battlefield and to resupply in neutral terrain. The U.S. is not concerned about a North Vietnamese or a Viet Cong battalion or regiment. But, of course, as any smart enemy does, any smart force does, the Viet Cong will adapt throughout the conflict. So we're seeing large formations right now in 1965, 1966, that's going to go away pretty quick. It's going to be very, very hard for us to find these tempting targets of battalion or regiment size Viet Cong forces. Instead, we're going to end up in a lot of smaller engagements. That's, this is a broad brush for the Vietnam War. But during this operation, Operation Abilene, they're focused on some Viet Cong regiments and divisions, kind of rooting them out of the countryside in South Vietnam. It hasn't been, I was going to say it hasn't been super successful, but it's hard to tell in a conflict like this. Just having a presence somewhere sometimes can lead to an element of success. Minimal contact is what I will say. 
Operation Abilene had been going on for a few weeks and just no major pitched battles. But on April 10th, the a new phase comes about, a new, a new opportunity. There's pretty good intelligence that there is a crack VC battalion. The, the nomenclature is Delta 800 D800. I'm not exactly sure how they would have would have said that, but that battalion was well known. They were elusive, they were deadly, and they were effective. And there's pretty good intelligence on where they were. Now, when I say pretty good intelligence on where they were, this is going to be a problem for the U.S. here shortly. It, it's not as though we can say they're on the third floor of this building on Main Street, right? Or even take an aerial photo of a village and say on this corner, it's the third house in. They're back in the jungle. And under this thick canopy is nasty. And there's a reason they're there. They're well hidden. They're, it's easy to stay concealed. And it's hard for the Americans to pinpoint exactly where they are. Even a battalion-sized force, and the Viet Cong battalion size is probably in the range of three to 500. This is pretty early on in the conflict. Not crazy to think that the battalion could be a little closer to 500. Maybe they haven't been, um, haven't seen as many casualties as they would later in the conflict. But the sights shift to this battalion. And I want to step back and say this is a division level effort. So you're talking, you know, to the tune of 10,000 Americans and somewhat 10,000 Allied soldiers, I should say. There are New Zealand and Australian soldiers involved in these operations as well. So finding a specific battalion when you have 10,000, you're not really concerned about being overmatched um, as long as you play your cards right. And the idea here that we're going to shift to is we're going to send a unit out. One unit is going to go out, a company-sized element, 134 soldiers to be specific. And they're going to find this battalion and they're going to be engaged and start the fight. And when they do that, they'll call on their reinforcements and a regiment, you know, at least a battalion, maybe a regiment, maybe more is going to come down and destroy that Viet Cong battalion, right? Go out, find them and kill them. If the task from that little unit, that 134-man unit, sounds like bait, like they're being used as bait, then you've got the right picture. The bait in this situation is going to be Charlie Company, 2nd Battalion, 16th Infantry Regiment. One of the fire team leaders in that organization is Sergeant James Robinson. Now, they're moving through the rubber plantations as they enter into this nasty jungle terrain. And like I mentioned earlier, one of the challenges is you can't just say, you know, look at that town up there. It's probably on the, the outskirts in this building, or maybe they're using the church. The problem in Vietnam that we would run into that, well, any jungle terrain, I should say, it wasn't just, wasn't um, exclusive to Vietnam, is sometimes you can't see the enemy until you're right on top of them. And after Sergeant James Robinson and his men of Charlie Company had been patrolling through the jungle for a little over a day with sporadic enemy contact, they find themselves right in the middle of a Viet Cong battalion base camp. It's fortified with machine gun bunkers and fighting positions, fields of fire, not areas for the enemy to maneuver. And as the fire opens up, Sergeant Robinson and his men, they can't see the enemy. What they can see are their brothers falling to their left and right. 
They can see machine gun fire ripping through the vegetation. They can see explosions all around. It's chaos. And in the opening moments of a fight like this at close range, chaos reigns. They're hit on multiple sides. And if they're going to survive, somebody has to step forward. And what it's going to take to survive a fight like this is leadership, skill, bravery, sacrifice. And Sergeant Robinson steps into the breach. Right away, he begins organizing his men into a defensive position. Remember, we've talked about this before. When a fight kicks off and it's not on your terms, you might not be set up exactly in the best situation possible. So if they're patrolling through the jungle like they were here and the enemy strikes, they're going to have people cut off. They're not going to have their machine guns exactly where they need to be now that the situation is developing. In order to organize your men in the best possible defensive position, it takes a calm mind. It takes somebody stepping back and articulating where do you need to go? Why? When? How? That is Sergeant Robinson on April 11th. Soon, he sees a threat that, I'll call it salt in the wound in fights like this. It's a sniper in a tree. The American soldiers can't even see some of the enemy fighters shooting at them. It's just tracer rounds ripping through the trees, mowing them down left and right. Think of the psychological toll that takes. You don't even know what to shoot back at. You can just see death all around. And as you, and as you scramble to take cover, maybe you get behind a tree or a log or just a depression in the earth, maybe a creek bed, a shot rings out. Your buddy falls to your left. Then another shot. It wasn't uncommon for the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese, for that matter, to have their men climb trees with sniper rifles. And sometimes they'd just be strapped in like a little bit of a harness to shoot down on the American soldiers after they were taking cover. It's not usually how an engagement would start. But once you've taken cover and you know the threat is, say, directly to your front or to your right or to your left... It's devastating to find out that you're getting shot from above. And when you have to look for enemy soldiers, not just on the ground, but in the treetops overhead, it becomes exhausting, mentally exhausting. Well, Robinson notices one of these snipers that is causing damage amongst his ranks, takes out his grenade launcher, fires it into the tree, destroys the enemy soldier, eliminates that threat. Now, I want to stop here because the pl- this is the plan, remember? Operation Abilene, at least this part of the plan, is designed to do this. Sergeant Robinson and Charlie Company have done their job, right? They went out and they found the enemy. This is the Delta 800 Battalion. This is the crack BC Battalion. There's a couple problems. One, for starters, the VC hit with a vengeance. They struck hard. Their attack was, is, as it's still raging, effective, deadly. American casualties are mounting. It's in very, very thick vegetation, which means that it's going to be hard to utilize the American enablers like aircraft and artillery. That's compounded by the fact that when they 
engage when they when they came into contact and they called for reinforcements, as was the plan from the rest of their battalion, regiment, and division. Those units took off and immediately got held up in the jungle. The march to get to Charlie Company is going to take substantially longer than expected. So Sergeant Robinson and his men, it's on them to fight it out. Reinforcements are not nearby. In fact, to skip forward a little bit, it it will be less than 24 hours, closer to 12 hours before reinforcements show up to relieve this unit. And Sergeant Robinson and his men are essentially surrounded. Multiple sides. They kind of, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. It's not so much that the Viet Cong moved around Robinson and his men as much as they waited for them to move into the middle of their formation, if that makes sense. So the Viet Cong had defensive positions set up. In this case, they just kind of waited until the Americans were in the middle rather than trying to repel them at the side. So in turn, when they do open up, there are fighting positions all around. As we know, there's not a clear medevac lane to be cut, which is why um, Airman uh, Pitsenbarger was called with his basket later on in the fight. But they've got to hang on. And in this deadly massacre that it's turning into, it's falling on men like Sergeant James Robinson to keep his men motivated, to keep fighting, to hang on. Reinforcements are on their way. They're coming. After he knocks out the sniper in the tree, he moves back amongst his men and sees out in front of their lines. Again, remember, the lines are jagged still. It's going to take some time to consolidate. So technically in front of an American position, technically between the Americans and the Viet Cong, he sees one of his medics treating a wounded soldier when the medic is hit. That means there's two men cut out, cut off out there. They can't get back. Robinson jumps up, charges through the fire to grab these two and pulls them back to safety, treats each of them, treating the medic now, before he continues on with his men. Later in the fight, Robinson will see yet another soldier a little bit out from the American lines. So just a little too close to the Viet Cong for comfort, wounded, unable to get back. So Robinson again takes off to go rescue this wounded soldier. In the process, he is struck twice by enemy fire. Once in the shoulder and once in the leg. Doesn't matter. He gets out to the wounded soldier, drags him back to safety. Now, once he gets the man back to a, I say safety, safe-ish position, you know, I, I don't want to look past the fact that this group that is Charlie Company 216 Infantry is a small circle, defensive circle that is getting smaller and smaller with, you know, casualties stacked in the middle. So I say that he moved these folks back to safety. Really what he did is he moved them into the American lines away from possible capture by the Viet Cong. While he's treating his own wounds, this time, two bullet wounds, he sees a machine gun nearby that is devastating part of the company. And remember I said earlier, it's, it's not the easiest to see these enemy fighters. They're well dug in. They're well camouflaged. But he sees a machine gun. And now already shot twice, Robinson, also um, out of ammunition. This fight's been raging for a while. And he took time to distribute ammunition and water and, and grenades between the men. When, when men were killed or severely wounded and couldn't defend themselves anymore, Robinson, one of the things he did in this fight was, was redistribute that ammunition. They're in that kind of fight. This isn't a, uh, 
this isn't something where they can wait for an actual resupply. Whatever they have with them is what they have to use, which means you have to start taking some of these things off of the dead and severely wounded to keep your other soldiers in the fight. So Robinson's already done that. He's now out of ammunition, except for a few grenades. He sees this enemy machine gun position and decides that he's going to take it out. He stands up and charges. As he charges the machine gun nest with a grenade in each hand, he's shot again. It's the third time he's shot in this engagement. This time it's a tracer round that goes through his leg. The tracer round lights his pants on fire. So in the middle of this fight, he has to drop to the ground, take his pants off because they're burning. And he gets right back up and continues the charge. As he nears the machine gun nest, he's shot twice in the chest. And in his last ounce of energy, tosses the two grenades into the enemy position, destroying the machine gun and all of the fighters inside. Just as Sergeant James Robinson fell to his death. So, Sergeant Robinson on the battlefield that day on April 11th, organized his men for the defense, knocked out a sniper in a tree, knocked out a machine gun nest and the gunners, kept the spirits of his men alive to hold on, and at least saved three men who were cut off in front of American lines and couldn't get back. That's not to mention the leadership to implore his men to keep fighting. Hold on. Help is on the way. And help would get there. It'd take a lot longer than expected. The, the first help, if you will, came in the form of an Air Force pararescuement lowering down through the treetops. Later, that help would come in the form of the rest of their unit, the rest of the battalion and regiment showing up as the you know, to hammer this North or hammer this Viet Cong unit. By that time, after about 12 hour fight where overnight Viet Cong elements were sneaking through the American lines at night to try to kill or capture the soldiers as they stayed guard at the end of this deadly, deadly engagement, the Viet Cong would retreat just as the larger American unit arrived on scene, but they held on. They held on because of people like Sergeant James Robinson. And for his actions that day, he would be awarded posthumously the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.